welcome to the Bliss Tonic Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Anthony, yoga instructor, educator, and straight up yoga nerd. You know you're in the right place if you're ready to apply yogic technologies and wisdom into your human experience. That's right. We're here to take action. (laughs) Are you ready to dive into season two where we are going to get real about all of this 2020 business and how we can apply yogic wisdom to be a better human? Let's do it. Welcome to season two of the Bliss Tonic Podcast. What a whirlwind this past little while has been, huh? (laughs) We've made it through, you know, a part of coronavirus, whatever that means. We're in it. We're still in it. We've had the band-aid ripped off of systemic racism enough for us to see these wounds that have been there for hundreds of years and I feel like many of us are ready to look at the ways that we've contributed to those wounds and tried to put band-aids on them instead of offer validation instead of seeing clearly And start to see our own violence via microaggressions or otherwise. Eclipse season. We have (laughs) finished. Of course, the energy is still here for it. Uh, Our unprecedented three eclipses in a row. (laughs) From June to the 4th, 5th of July, depending on where you are. And I don't know about all of you, but you know, it's, it, it's been, it's been weird in a really amazing way. And I felt a really big shift energetically with this last eclipse. I definitely maybe felt deeper into my own shit with the other two eclipses and I feel a sense of freedom with whatever happened in this last eclipse. I had a really big shift and it's like I remember who I am. So if you felt lost or confused or just kind of off your path, know that you're not alone and it's also a part of your path because we're not just, you know, spirits. We're embodied. We have bodies and societies and relationships that challenge us and provide us this really beautiful ability to grow beyond you know just being more spiritual we get to look at our own you know perpetuation of inequality of sickness within ourselves and society and have a lot more awareness of maybe where we can grow nowadays. 
So if you're wondering where season two is going, <laughs> you know, I, I wish I could tell you. I don't have all the answers of where it's going. I can just tell you that, you know, we are going deeper in. I'll be bringing in a lot of the texts and you know my favorite one out there is the yoga sutras. So we'll definitely be, you know, having some episodes inspired by the yoga sutras as they relate to our current climate because whew, I've been digging my sticky little fingers into the yoga sutras chapter two and Man, is that stuff relevant. How? I'm just like sitting there. Sometimes I get lost in thought and I think, man, these people who thousands of years ago, you know, are describing what it is to be human, this entire system that helps us overcome the confusion that is the human existence, right? Because we're confused via ignorance, via perpetual forgetfulness of who we are and our purpose. And, you know, what is that purpose? Do I have the answer? No. But I feel like a huge part of our purpose is to awaken to our own ignorance and to remember who we are. And that's why we're here is to remember, Remember also that we're not just a victim of our circumstance or a victim of our humanity. And I will be bringing up when I say shit like that, like, and I'm not talking about people of color. You know what I mean? I just like, uh, I think the yoga community and spiritual community can do better. Yes, you know, we aren't just victims of our circumstance and we can do better, but in the United States and many places in the world, the system and structure of our society is built to keep certain people down. So to just say, like, we all can just rise above the human condition, like, yeah, we can, but we don't all have ac equal access to the education and to the resources to be able to spend time on spiritual pursuits. Like, whoa, like, let's just, you know, have a little caveat with our spirituality to understand that, you know, this very inclusive, um, I don't want to say lineage, but these inclusive practices are extremely exclusive, especially the way, you know, yoga has been whitewashed in the West where, you know, it's, it, it's a fitness class in a lot of ways. And that's just something that, you know, I haven't ever identified with as a yoga teacher. You know, it's interesting because I do teach fitness classes too. Um, but it's always been something really separate in my mind, like teaching circus fitness classes versus like, you know, if I'm teaching a splits class, I don't necessarily call it like Hanumanasana because I don't know, I just feel like it's a, a different, it's a different thing. Obviously, I, you know, in yoga teacher training, I teach a Hanumanasana tech for the training. Um, so maybe that's not a great example. But anyways, yeah, we're going to get into a lot of cultural appropriation, the whitewashing of yoga in, in, in to the extreme where it is exclusive to people who have grown up with 
that in their culture with yoga, these practices that we have borrowed and in some cases stolen and tried to make our own and labeled and branded and marketed and trademarked, right? Like it's just a crazy world out there. And, you know, one really beautiful piece that I've been reading in the sutras is in chapter two. I am going to butcher which one it is. Uh, It's somewhere between 248 and 255. (laughs) If that narrows it down, if you want to, you know, get to be a yoga nerd and and research um, this stuff. I love reading the yoga sutras. But so in that, it's talking about ways that we deal with violence. So, you know, nonviolence is one of these tenets that we take on when we embark on the practice of yoga, right? Ahimsa, non-harming or non-violence. And, you know, sometimes in classes we'll talk about it in the context of like, you know, take it easy on your body, don't hurt yourself, don't go beyond your, you know, physical limits, that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's way bigger than that. (laughs) You know, that's maybe an example. You know, that's one example, but it also thinking about it could be, you know, a little whitewashed example of like making it all about the physical practice that we consider to be yoga in the West. Um, But it was talking about how, you know, we see violence and it's clearly a, a very assert, it's an action. Um, and we contemplate nonviolence as a passive action, right? As the opposite of violence. When in reality, nonviolence is an active uh, practice and one that, you know, starts by identifying our own violence, (laughs) you know, figuring out where it came from and how intense it is. And this is all in the Yoga Sutras. (laughs) Y'all know my favorite book by... um, the current head of the Himalayan tradition. And it is the this chapter two. First one is Secret of the Yoga Sutras. And I think the second chapter is called The Practice of the Yoga Sutras. The, and that's the name of the, the book, the interpretation of the Yoga Sutras. He's only got two written so far. So I'm very looking forward to his other books. But man, I could just digest these first two chapters for a lifetime or two lifetimes, maybe maybe three. I don't know. But, you know, that really made me think about the parallels between uh, this anti-racism work that many people are engaging with for the first time, you know, due to recent events that have made apparent <laughs> something that's been going on for a long, long time. Um, and it's been hidden and now it's time to, to really look at it. And so, you know, in, in parallel to being actively nonviolent, we have to first, you know, identify the parts of ourselves where racism is, ex- exists, figure out where did that racist thought come from and how intense is it and that is the thing is it's really easy and this is another thing that's here we go I'm going off on the yoga nerd um, path right now (laughs) but I you know in the text it was talking about how you know the gross or the more like physical expressions of violence are really easy to fix right it's easy to fix you know 
something like a physical violence that happens you see yourself like taking things out in a physical way on you know your kids or whoever angers you the most usually it's the usually it's the people in your house um and it doesn't have to be hitting obviously that's like or murder or whatever that's like the the most gross expression of violence but it starts in our thoughts okay so it starts in the way that we um and, and are we in control of our thoughts? No. And so our our violent thoughts are much harder to control and um, and deal with and assess and heal than our actions, our violent actions. And so this is part of the work of being, you know, actively anti-racist and actively anti-violent, right? Is we have to sit we have to sit with our thoughts and one of the only ways to heal you know violent thoughts is through meditation or you know the the more subtle it is the more subtle the the like cure i guess right and so it's very interesting to think about you know to be anti-racist it starts with ourselves and you know, then I have this like entire dialogue in my mind of like, yeah, but like, what about the structures of our society? How are we ever going to make changes? And the truth is it, it starts one person at a time. It starts one person at a time. And it's true that the energy we put out ripples out into the world and doing this work and being vocal about it and, you know, sharing the anti-racist work. And really, it doesn't even have to be about racism. It could be about our violent thoughts. We have a lot of work to do. (laughs) Me. (laughs) Me, you, us. And society as a collective. Because what's society made up of? All of the individuals, right? So this isn't like just spiritual people running the world right now. so we acknowledge that but what can we do we can put in our own work and we can make a difference in the energy that we put out into the world and be more vocal and visible and you know be willing to be seen and to be wrong and I think that's a huge part about you know especially being a yoga teacher I think there's any healer I see this so often when people go to a healer of any kind and you know a psychic even and bring to them their entire lifetime of whatever it could be for physical you know their traumas their like spiritual stuff they've been through whatever it is and almost expect answers from this person who is inherently unqualified to answer all of those things And I think it gets into dangerous territory, especially in the realm of talking about, you know, psychics. And it's why I have a, you know, a pretty strong um, psychic ethic code. Um, And I'm not saying that I'm like psychic or anything intuitive, I would say. And I'm going to take that back. I'm going to take that back. We're all psychic. One of my favorite books is, what is it? (laughs) 
I'm psychic and you can be too. I, it's been so many years, like probably over a decade since I've read that, but I, I still remember it and how she talked about it. Um, so yeah. Um, but we bring all of our, all of our stuff to them. And as a healer myself, uh, I completely understand, you know, this, well, this ego's desire to have the answers because why do we start this to help? We want to help people. Um, but I'm just here to tell you if you're a healer in any way, if you're a yoga teacher, if you share your spiritual learnings with other people, like you don't have to have the answers, but you know, it's super powerful asking questions. (laughs) I don't know, but that's really interesting. Maybe we could like dive into that over time or like, I don't have the answer to that, but you know, like that's something to pay attention to. Um, and I think that can be a really powerful thing is, you know, I don't have the answers to this. I don't have the answers. How, you know, how to not at all cultural, culturally appropriate from any culture. Like, is that even doable? I have, you know, there's so many amazing conversations I've been having with close friends and, you know, I would, I, I just have been really loving, um, these conversations and being honest and disagreeing and being okay disagreeing. And, you know, what I've been seeing a lot in this climate and, you know, maybe this is for you to hear is, people who engage specifically on Facebook, and I'm not going to say I don't, I, I got into some things. <laughs> this is why I created the Pratyahara <laughs> Sense Withdrawal Course, which I'm releasing soon. It's because like, it's time to pull it on back. <laughs> but you know, I feel like we waste a lot of energy um, and and we put out a lot more negativity. And ugh, Okay, so I'm going to call myself out again. Um, but this is the truth though. What are we doing when we're having these like Facebook arguments, right? It's, we, I see a lot of like violent words out on the screen in front of me from people who are like really in it for the right reasons and really supportive and doing the work. And yet there's like a violence in the words. And I'm not saying that I'm immune to this. Um, and when I, when I said like, oh, they're just like, being negative. Like, I just want to call out, like, what I mean by that is, is, you know, putting violent thoughts and words, um, out into the world and not to like put us on the spot in that, um, and that we can't ever do that, but to, you know, just think about that. Like, yeah, we're like maybe fighting for the right reasons, but it's, it's still, like violent, like really crazy things that I've been hearing. Like, obviously, like, oh, if you're a racist, you don't deserve to breathe. And like, I don't know, like, it's just really interesting. And I'm just encouraging us to like, look at our own violent thoughts, even if they are in support of oppressed peoples and, you know, have all good intentions to do good in the world. Um, We I, I'm not a supporter of toxic positivity and never be negative. I think what I, and if you listen to this podcast ever, I think you know that by now. Um, and you know what, the most beautiful thing about, and I would say the difference between like Tantra yoga or yoga in general and the new age path. And I, I specifically say Tantra because a lot of the new age stuff, like new age, um, that's Tantra. 
or has roots in Tantra and now it's been like maybe washed down or watered down a little bit and now it's offered to more people um, as new age technologies, um, I guess. Um, But a lot of, where is I going with that? (laughs) I can go on a rant about that. Uh, Okay, so the piece that I see missing a lot with like this like new age spirituality and like I'm a 100% believer of law of attraction um, and and all of that, but I will say there's a lot of toxic positivity that goes on. And what I love about Tantra is that it takes us through our suffering. We cannot just, um, we can't get through our suffering (laughs) by ignoring it. Does that make sense? We can't, and it's, what I see in the new age spirituality, love and light, like heart hug, like all that kind of stuff is like an unwillingness to accept negative emotions. And what I love about Tantra is that actually there's, <laughs> I'm going to put my nerd glasses on, in yoga sutras. Um, <laughs> so in the yoga sutras, it talks about how do we overcome violence? We actively cultivate nonviolent thoughts and actions. Okay, so we can we can overcome a negative thought by creating and cultivating the opposite. That is true. Does it mean we deny the opposite? Does it mean we deny our violence or go right past it and into the whatever good stuff. No, because that's the work. The work is identifying where we're violent, identifying where it came from, how intense it is, and how do we overcome it? By by then, with that awareness, doing these practices that we can burn up the karmas we've created via that violence or, you know, any number of uh, quote-unquote negative attributes is that we can stop creating new karmas around that and we can, through certain practices, you know, burn up, burn up what we've already done. But it's not about denying and going straight to the positive, right? There's, it means there's purification to do. <laughs> it means we got to look at our stuff here. And, and I think a lot of this racism is really deeply ingrained in doing my own work. It's there's there's more layers than I could have ever imagined and it's hard to look at. Um, but that's where we start. That's where we start. So, wow, I don't even know um, what I intended to talk about in this episode. I kind of just hit record. Um, came here to the studio, recording studio to just make content <laughs> as quickly as possible so I can spend time with my family. So funny. Um, and yeah, I just, I didn't plan to record this first episode of season two of the the podcast. Um, but here we are 22 minutes in and I'm really grateful that I did. And you know, who knows where each episode is going to take us, but um this is a little bit of what's been on my mind lately and I'm just feeling really rejuvenated and ready for this new season of life and new season of the podcast. 
and I will, well, I are, I think I'm going to be just telling you, this is so funny. You're getting my inner workings. I'm putting the, uh, add to my Patreon in the middle of this episode somewhere, most likely. So you'll hear it, but I'm going to, I'm going to remind you right now. <laughs> I'm going to remind you that I am starting a Patreon. So if you enjoy this podcast, head on over. It's $5 a month and you get access to my five-day Pratyahara course uh, as a free bonus. So $5 a month, you get to listen to all of these weekly episodes of the season two and beyond. Um, And then I have, of course, bonus content for the yoga nerds and for the yoga teachers. So go check that out for real. Even if you don't buy it, just like scope out the website, see what you think. Let me know. Give me your feedback and let me know, you know, if there's any content you would like me to cover in season two of the Bliss Tonic podcast. Thank you so much for listening and until next time. Woo! <laughs>